I've got a, a question for you to start off with, and I hope it doesn't cause too many uh, family feuds, but it's this. Uh, as a child, uh, were you ever left behind by your family? Were you ever accidentally left behind, maybe in a supermarket uh, or at a fairground or some other place by your family? I don't want any pointing fingers, but I just want you to think about that situation. Alternatively, maybe you are the one who left the child behind. And uh, you know that sickening feeling. Or you know you've left something behind, but you can't quite remember what. And then you remember it's a child. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. It's not deliberate. It's just an accident. In all the chaos of family life, uh, these things happen. Earlier this year, a plane uh, heading to Malaysia had to turn back to Saudi Arabia after a passenger realized that she left her baby in the terminal. Uh, there's a video online uh, of the pilot having a discussion with air traffic control. Uh, Can we come back? The pilot asks. And then the air traffic controller tells a colleague, this flight is requesting to come back. A passenger forgot her baby in the waiting area, the poor thing. And then the pilot can be heard repeating to the air traffic controller, I told you, a passenger has left her baby in the terminal and she's refusing to continue the flight. Uh, I, I love that last line. She's refusing to continue the flight. It doesn't matter that she's thousands of feet uh, in the air, traveling through the clouds. She's refusing uh, to continue uh, the flight. She must go back to get her child. These situations are quite understandable. Uh, a certain point in your life, it's just you looking after yourself. You're the only one that you need to take care of. And then the family grows and uh, more responsibilities come uh, with that. Uh, the same is true uh, in business. We, we see this uh, concept of growing pains happening uh, in the world of business, and there's courses that you can go on and books that you can read and um, training that you can do to deal with the problems of growing pains. As a, a business grows quicker than anticipated, the, the admin and the processes aren't keeping up with the growth in the business, and so uh, these growing pains are inevitable. But growth is a good thing, you know, a, good, a growing family, a growing business, these are positive things, uh, but growth does not come uh, without its challenges. And what's true about families and growing businesses can also be true of growing churches, uh, as we'll see in our passage this morning. Now, we're going to be uh, in the book of Acts, which charts the progress uh, of the gospel in the early church. And uh, Jesus has been carried back up into heaven, and his followers are taking his message out through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the Mediterranean world. And at the point that we pick up the story this morning, uh, Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, has faced different trials and persecution. But at the same time, uh, there's a sense of growth within the church, a sense of unity, a sense of fellowship, and the numbers of the church growing. So please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 7, and we're going to be We'll find that in the church Bibles on page 1098. Let me read from Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Did you notice what the problem was in this church? Have a look with me down at verse 1. We see in these days that the number of disciples was increasing. And we've got the Hellenistic Jews complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. There's a, a clear problem here in this church in Jerusalem. The church is experiencing growing pains. And if you look at the first few words of, you can move on the next slide. If you look at the first few words of verse 1, uh, things are quite clearly positive, aren't they? Do you see that? The number of disciples was increasing. You see, despite getting arrested in chapter 5, um, despite the rulers in Jerusalem commanding the apostles not to teach about the forgiveness of sins that's found in Jesus Christ, despite all this persecution, uh, the number of disciples in Jerusalem was increasing. And yet there's this problem. These Grecian widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. This group of women probably had no other means of earning a living. They had no family support to help them. They were supposed to be cared for by the church because that's what God said when he gave the law to Moses and the Israelites. God had given specific instructions about how to treat widows and orphans, and he set out harsh consequences if the Israelites failed in their responsibility. We see that in Exodus chapter 22. And so the fact that uh, these widows were not being looked after was an issue, uh, but it wasn't a it was an issue caused by uh, the growing pains of the church. The number of people trusting in Christ was growing, but these widows were being overlooked. And so the Hellenistic Jews complain about this matter on behalf of the widows. Uh, these were the Greek speakers, and the people that they complain about, the Hebraic Jews, these were people whose everyday language was Aramaic. So clearly there are uh, language uh, differences at play and even though the passage doesn't say, there's no doubt some cultural issues also at play too. If you're in one of our growth groups, our, our Bible study groups that meet during the week, we've been working through the book of Acts. And up to this point in the narrative of Acts, uh, we've seen attacks on the church in different forms. Uh, we've seen them coming from out with the church and from inside the church. Uh, we've seen uh, cruelty from outside the church in Acts 3 and 4 when Peter and John are arrested and threatened before the council. And then in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles are put in prison. 
Uh, we've seen corruption from inside the church in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira who hoarded money from the church. And now we're seeing complaints from within the church. There's problems from within and without. And if you look down at verse 2 with me, uh, you'll see the dilemma that the apostles had. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Someone has dropped the ball with the practical ministry that was meant to happen towards these widows. But if the apostles deal with the problem themselves, they are going to drop the ball when it comes to word ministry. I think it's really important to be clear that the apostles are not saying that they themselves are too important to serve the tables. Uh, they don't say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables because we're far too important and this is a job for the little people. Uh, that's not what they say here. No, the reason that it's not right for them to neglect the ministry of the Word of God is because they've been called to this ministry. They've been called to the ministry of the Word of God. You see, at the end of uh, Luke chapter 4, the apostles are called to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That was the apostles' calling, and they're sticking to it, because that's what God wanted from them. So this issue is not a question of, of uh, class, it's a question of calling. The apostles' dilemma was that they, they had to continue preaching the word of God, but they also knew that this problem with the widows not being fed couldn't continue. How would they ensure that the spiritual needs and the physical needs of this growing church family would be met? Well, the apostles' solution is there down in verses 3 to 6, uh, as we see spirit-filled servants being appointed. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Again, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You see, the apostles knew that caring for the widows is an important job. And so they suggest a solution that will mean that the practical ministry is no longer neglected. And all the while, at prayer and the ministry of the Word will be maintained. But I want you to notice something with me that's really crucial about what the, the apostles do. You see, the apostles' concern doesn't just stop at getting the job done. They're not just concerned about quietening the complaints and, and putting this to bed that way. No, verse 3 doesn't say, brothers and sisters, choose seven lazy so-and-sos that are not up to anything better and, and get them to, to, to get involved in this. No, they tell the people to choose men of the highest caliber. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Men whose reputation went before them. Spirit-filled men. Wise men. Seven men like this were to be chosen to take on this task to make sure that it was dealt with and that it would no longer be a problem. And we see that this was a massively popular decision in verse 5 and 6. We see there, start of verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. It pleased the Hellenistic Jews. It pleased the Hebraic Jews. 
They chose seven men. They presented them to the apostles. They prayed for them. They laid their hands on them as a way of uh, commissioning them for this job, setting them apart for it. And this freed up the apostles to continue giving their attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then notice with me the end result of this great decision making. Verse 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so the passage ends in verse 7, just as it started in verse 1, with the number of disciples increasing in Jerusalem. Look at God's faithfulness to his church here. Look at the power of his word at work. The number of disciples increasing, uh, many priests becoming obedient to the faith. That means they'd come to understand the message of Jesus and his significance as God's Messiah and Israel's Savior. I wonder if you're here this morning, and I wonder whether you have come to that point yourself, whether you've understood the message of Jesus, uh, whether you've understood uh, your sinful state before a holy God, and whether you've understood that the only way to be right with Him is through trusting in Christ and repenting of your sins. Maybe you're not normally in church on a Sunday morning like this, and uh, reading from the Bible and singing and gathering like this is new to you. Would you be willing to look into the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? We would absolutely love to help you with that, spend time with you doing that. There'll be people here at the front after the service, there'll be people in the corner outside, and I'll be at the door afterwards. We'd love to help you understand more about what Jesus says and more about what he requires of you. In some ways, our church is very different to this church we're reading about, but in many ways, we're exactly the same. Uh, we're passionate about teaching the Bible. Uh, we're desperate to see more people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in Edinburgh and further afield. And by delegating certain tasks and concentrating on prayer and the ministry of the Word, the Word of God spread in Jerusalem. It seems such common sense, doesn't it? After all, this is how most people come to faith, isn't it? Most people don't have a, a Damascus Road experience like Saul in Acts 9 bright light shining from heaven and hearing Jesus' voice audibly. No, most people's experience is that of the Ethiopian in Acts 8. Someone opens the Bible with them, explains to them who Jesus is and their need of forgiveness of sins, and they respond in trust and repentance and experience new life now and eternal life in the life to come. This passage is a great example of different people within a church family with different callings working together in harmony for the sake of the gospel. It's a great example of a church family working creatively to deal with the growing pains that are inevitable in a growing church. And that's what we want for this church, isn't it? I hope. If you're here on holiday from another church, you may well be in, in holiday mode and understand that, but if you think back to your own church that you've come from, I'm sure this is what you want for, for your own church as well. Uh, you want to see the Word of God spread where you're from. Uh, you want to see the number of people following Jesus increase where you're from, don't you? And the reason that I want us to spend some time in this passage this morning is because I think as a church, it's, it's a message that we need to stop and think about 
particularly at this point in our church's history. If you were at the church AGM a few weeks ago, you'll remember Paul's slide about what hap- what's happened since we've moved to two morning services. Apart from in the summer months, we, we've moved to, to two morning services. Our church is growing. Uh, between January and April 2018, uh, our, and May, March to May 2019, our Sunday morning attendance went from 582 to 631 across the two services. And that doesn't include our mission partners who are very much part of our church but who are in far-flung places in this country and around the world. And so more people uh, means more opportunities for us to drop the ball or to put it more positively, um, more opportunities for us to serve one another. You look in the bulletin today, there's opportunities to serve in creche. There's opportunities to serve during the week uh, with open doors. There's a number of things that need done as we grow as a church, these kind of formal ways that happen within church life. But there's also the informal stuff, the everyday stuff. Uh, phoning people who you've not seen for a while and might be struggling. Opening your home to other members of the church family. Looking out for new people and struggling people on a Sunday. And, and this growth that is evident from the slide up there has happened even as we've sent people out to see new churches started. A couple of years ago, we sent people out to Gracemont with Andy and Sarah Prime, the Airds, the McHoneys, Phil and Melissa Pagan, Charlie Finlayson. They've gone out and things have continued to grow here. Then Martin and Grace Smith went down to the borders to Hoyk, took Robin Turton with them, a much-loved member and they're revitalizing a church down in Hoyk. And then Hope City last year took uh, 40 adults and 20 kids. The same year Ross went to Musselboro Baptist to get involved there. And then we're helping with the FIC's plan to see a church planted in Aviemore with Kenny Rogan who preached for us last Sunday. Eric and Emma Thompson, a former elder of this church, his wife are up there already hoping to start that work. Next year, God willing, we hope to see a church planted in South Queensbury. And God willing, we'll take a group from this church to see a work started there. Each of these uh, plants and, and uh, ministry opportunities has taken elders and members from this church. And yet the work continues here. Uh, the practical ministry, the word ministry, the prayer ministry has to continue here in Charlotte Chapel. And so if you're a member here, Uh, There is a role for you somewhere, informally as you get alongside people, as you care for people in the church round about you, but also in these kind of more formal roles as well, these more service opportunities that I've mentioned. And if you're not a member here and you are a Christian, does this not look like the sort of church that you'd want to be part of? Uh, We're not perfect, Uh, far from it. But we are trying to see the word of God spread in our time, in this place and further afield because we long to see the number of disciples increase in this time and in this area and further afield. Why don't you think about becoming a member of our church and helping partner with us to see the spread of the gospel? You can find out more information down in the connect corner outside. Looking ahead, to next year, 
it's quite an important year for us as a church. We'll be electing new elders and new deacons because our five-year term is up next year. I'm going to be part of the South Queen Street Church plant along with David Armstrong, so that's two elders will be down. Uh, we've not yet replaced Barry Sprott. Some people could argue that you could never replace Barry Sprott. Um, but there's three elders down already, you know, and we need to find more in this coming year. The question is, who's going to step up into these roles? Who are going to be the elders next year? Who are going to be the deacons next year? Paul's not here, so I can say this. I think it's quite hard work for him trying to find elders, honestly, uh, over the years. Um, it's been like pulling teeth, which for an ex-dentist you would think would be all right, but actually... It's hard work. People don't, people aren't, lots of people aren't willing to do it. They don't feel qualified. They don't feel they're worthy. Well, let me, let me, into, let me let you into a secret. You never feel worthy and you never feel qualified. But God is good. Uh, he, he sustains and he equips. The qualifications aren't secret. They're there in First Timothy. For elders, probably too small to read, but for elders... Uh, and for deacons. And I hope that by flagging the need up now, with some months down the line, uh, ahead of time, that some people in this room will prayerfully reflect on these qualifications, both for elders and for deacons, and start asking themselves whether this is the right time for them to take on a role like that in the church. Take advice from people. Uh, speak to those closest to you. Uh, speak to existing elders and deacons. Use these months between now and the first few months of next year to be praying and reading and talking and reflecting. And if you are qualified and the circumstances are right for you, what a privilege to serve God in this church in this way. It's clear that the church in Jerusalem had leaders who were resolved to stick to their calling, to the ministry of the Word and to prayer and who were willing to delegate other responsibilities. And it was clear that the church had godly members who wanted to partner in the work of the gospel and who were willing to use their gifts to serve the church in some way. And so I'll leave you with a couple of questions. How has God equipped you to support the advance of the gospel? Whether that is the equivalent of table serving or ministry of the word. What a beautiful picture of these two things we had a few weeks ago in our If Only series. Those evening services where people were serving food down the sides and people gathered with their friends who wouldn't normally have been in church and the word of God was ministered. That is a picture of what we need to be doing on an ongoing basis in the life of our church in different ways. Practical ministry and word ministry. How has God equipped you to do that? And then a the second question, how are you actually using those gifts to support the advance of the gospel? May God shape each one of us to be those who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom and who serve Him as the people that He has made us so that His word might continue to spread and that the number of His followers might increase. Let's pray.